Welcome to The Paleo View. I'm best-selling author and co-creator of realeverything.com, Stacey Toth. I focus on being healthy inside and out through real life, food, and talk. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantani, New York Times best-selling author and creator of thepaleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Welcome back to The Paleo View, episode 381, whereby Stacy's heart is going to be broken <laughs> as we discuss breakfast. Is it the most important meal of the day? Yep. I... So this is kind of interesting. We we started talking about this as we were chatting before the show, and I was like, oh, well, let's just save it before we jump in. So we do have a question from a listener, but I just kind of want to lay the groundwork on this, which is that, as with everything, bio-individuality plays an important role. And for me, I don't have a gallbladder, and I have learned that breakfast is very difficult for my body in the morning because... I don't have a gallbladder to have built up bile all night long. And if I go too hard with whatever it is that I'm eating, it really doesn't matter. I've played with so many different things. I, If I like nibble a bit and then I have a meal, it's okay because my stomach acid will kind of like build up. Or if I have a coffee with significant, I'm saying significant with quotation marks, significant calories from collagen and heavy cream and that'll get my body kind of like digesting a little bit and then I can have like usually an 11 o'clock brunch but it's not really a brunch it's like my first meal and then I have something else usually like a heavy snack um maybe like two o'clock before dinner or something um it really I know that it's not so great for my metabolism (laughs) we're gonna talk about Mm -hmm. that nope But I I just really am looking forward to your suggestions and ideas and how to solve that because I don't like taking a bunch of supplements. I've gotten myself off of them. And so I'm just going to be whiny if you tell me to take them again. Um, hopefully, um, hopefully once I get through the science and we get into like brainstorming strategies, we can, we can find a solution that doesn't involve supplements that'll work really well. But I, I want to, cause, um, you know, as our listeners have probably gathered, uh, probably because of the title of this episode in their feed. Also, I said it. Yeah, you did. The importance of breakfast. Is it the most important meal of the day? And, um, and we've got a, a really great listener question. It starts off by flattering us, which is clearly the way to get your question right on the show. Um, but also when I read this, I was like, oh, you know, I, I've done a couple of blog posts about breakfasts and how, you know, it's interesting to me because the effect of eating in the morning can tangent, it sort of tangentially is related to intermittent fasting research. Um, and in some cases it's sort of looking at an early feeding window versus a late feeding window. So if you only eat two meals, is it better to eat breakfast and lunch versus lunch and dinner? And then sometimes it looks at more sort of free form, like what just happens if you tell somebody to eat breakfast versus tell somebody to skip it? And what do they do? Do they start grazing? Do they snack? Do they, um, 
you know, do they heavily weight their calories towards the end of the day? And that that research is really interesting. And as I was sort of looking at what's what's new in this field over the last couple of years, I realized that, um, you know, not to not to spoil the conclusion of the entire show, but yeah, breakfast is really really important. And I am naturally, um, I naturally lean towards what's called sumo dieting. Have you ever heard of this term? Um, uh, I can't say that I have. No. So it uh, references the eating pattern where you um, load the majority of your caloric intake in the later part of the day. So for me, I really have to be intentional to eat breakfast. It's really easy for me to to not eat until two or three o'clock in the afternoon, but then I want to eat all of the things. And I, then my my I'm trying to like catch up on the caloric intake with between a snack and a and a dinner. And uh, that's easy for me. I'm sure I can eat my entire day's worth of calories in one meal. That sounds fun. Um, and that's like my natural tendency is to um, not eat, not eat, not eat, and then overeat. And I go through periods of time where I'm better at getting into that routine of eating three meals a day. But then I get through periods of time where it's like you, Stacey, I just... I'm not interested in food in the morning. And I've noticed over the last few years that it very, very strongly correlates with stress, which is interesting because we're going to get into what cortisol is doing in this whole system. And this last, our, our listeners know, I've, I haven't talked about it a lot on the show, but I've had a really rough fall. And um, due to stress. I just uh, want to be of, clear, you, Autumn, you did not fall down. You no, said, no, not you said rough... I've had a very l- rough fall, and I imagine that at least two listeners were like, oh my gosh, are you okay? And... No. <laughs> the gravity and I are getting along just fine. Um, we haven't had any altercations. Um, no, no, a rough autumn, as in the the, the third season of, of the year. Um, you know, and I, I, don't, I don't want to belabor it now, but um, just being uh, overextended in terms of projects and travel, and then my father's heart attack, which was a, a huge emotional stressor on top of everything, was just enough to have the wheels really fall off the cart for me this autumn. And um, and so in um, really like finding myself struggling with my health again, I'm also realizing that I'm back to this sumo dieting eating pattern. So doing the research for this show made me go, okay, this is this is an action point for me. This is a relatively straightforward thing for me to do, which is to make myself eat breakfast. So let's, let's read the question, sort of dive into the science behind why breakfast is actually important and what happens when we skip it, especially regularly. And then we can, you know, wrap up with some practical strategies for making uh, breakfast easy and enjoyable and digestible. I'm excited, but also scared. (laughs) (laughs) so uh this is the listener's question hey ladies i look so forward to tuning in each week to listen in on your conversations thank you for all the work you both do to educate us i guess i'm a longtime listener first time caller here's my question how important is it to eat breakfast i'm usually up and out of bed by 7 a.m coffee in hand by 7 15 but i don't get hungry until 11 then I'm a grazer until about 3 p.m., dinner is around 7, and I'm in bed by 8.30, asleep in about an hour. Sarah, I do take your sleep advice very seriously and have made sleep number one. 
I would really like to drop about 15 pounds and I'm willing to make a shift in when I eat, if that would help. Am I missing out on important health benefits by skipping breakfast? Um, I mean, the short answer is um, yes, it appears as though breakfast is a really important uh, metabolic control. And that is a, a really interesting thing because it relates to both the hormones that are required to supply our bodies with energy in the morning if we don't have energy supplied by food. Um, but then it also relates to some hormonal programming that is impacting throughout the day. So there has been a, just a variety of research done over the last you know, 10, 15 years on um, skipping breakfast and what that actually does. And a lot of the initial research was really correlative. Um, and so we know with correlative research, it we can't say there's a, a cause, right? So it could just be um, that skipping breakfast, people who do that also have this other bad habit that also has the effect, right? So it's it's hard with those, especially the early studies where they, they knew that um, eating breakfast seems to correlate with, like, say, weight loss success, success in maintaining, maintaining a healthy weight, um, seem to correlate with some better health outcomes. But it's not until the last, um, I would say, five years where there started to be some really well-designed crossover um, randomized control trials. And a crossover trial is a really interesting design for something like this, right? Like, obviously, if you're in a clinical trial, you know whether or not you're eating breakfast or not, right? Like, it's it's impossible to blind you to what you're doing. Um, somebody looking at your data could be blinded, but at some point, <laughs> that analysis still can't be blinded. So in the absence of being able to do what's called a double-blind uh, clinical trial where both the participant and the person analyzing the data doesn't know what group you're in. A randomized uh, crossover is a really great design because it means that every single person in the trial do is at some point in each group. And when you do each group, it is uh, randomized. So you might do control where you eat breakfast first. Uh, you might do um, the intervention where you skip breakfast second, or it might be the reverse, or there might be, you know, extra groups. I'm actually going to get into a little bit details of about a study where they actually compared three meals a day versus skipping breakfast versus skipping dinner. And there's quite a few studies like that, which really come from the intermittent fasting research, trying to understand the impact of these shorter feeding windows. So again, this kind of pulls from a few different places in terms of understanding skipping breakfast. Um, but there's been some, some studies that are starting to show that regularly skipping breakfast does negatively impact metabolism in the like context of increasing risk of metabolic syndrome, which is kind of scary, actually. Um, as I started updating the research and looking at some of the meta-analyses, which are like the pinnacle of uh, really being able to um, prove an effect in terms of clinical trials, because what a meta-analysis does is it takes, um, pools the data from multiple clinical trials and analyzes this bigger data set, which is really important for being able to hone in on the magnitude of an effect, um, as well as tease out um, details of, of different effects. So as we look at this data, um, what's really interesting is no matter what kind of group of people 
you select, there are measurable problems with skipping breakfast. So for example, there was a study in healthy, lean women, um, and they either, they, it was, again, a sort of crossover trial. So they either ate three meals a day for two weeks straight, or they skipped breakfast for two weeks straight. And this, you know, some of these studies, the caloric intake is controlled, and some of them they're not. Um, this one, it wasn't. But what it found was, you know, these women didn't, there wasn't a group that where they lost weight, right? It was about, they, they were all the, the same, whether they skipped breakfast or not. But when the women skipped breakfast, they had reduced insulin sensitivity, so they're developing insulin resistance. Um, they tended to eat more overall, and they were also getting um, un what are called unfavorable fasting lipids. So that's basically like high cholesterol in the morning, um, which is a predictor of uh, like developing hypercholesteremia. So what's that that's like lean, healthy people. And then there's other studies, right, that have taken now now you're taking at risk people, taking overweight and obese participants. Um, and comparing uh, shifting the um, the high calorie meal of the day. Most of us have our high calorie meal at dinner. Um, and what they did with these people is they shifted the high calorie meal to breakfast compared to high calorie at dinner. And once they had their big meal at breakfast instead of dinner, it uh, improved their um, fasting glucose and insulin sensitivity and lowered triglycerides, which is the most important um, cardiovascular disease risk factor in a lipid panel. And they experienced weight loss, which is a, like really, really fascinating. There's been a variety of other studies that have sort of looked at, interestingly, when you skip breakfast, you have a higher glycemic response to the same meal at lunch. Um, there's a variety of studies that um, have shown now that um, women who skip breakfast, men who skip breakfast, will basically be more insulin resistant later in the day. Um, there's even potentially an impact not just on cortisol, because what's happening when you skip breakfast is your body is increasing cortisol more than it normally would in order to drive the production of glucose to meet your body's energy needs as you're getting up and getting out of bed. But it's also impacting testosterone. It's impacting sex hormone binding globulin. And these, I mentioned these couple of, um, to me, they were, they were, um, I was shocked at the magnitude of an effect um, and quite alarmed because of the implications for my own tendency to skip breakfast. So there was a, a meta-analysis looking at uh, people who routinely skip breakfast and their risk of developing type 2 diabetes, and even after adjusting for body mass index. So taking out the part of this where skipping breakfast is basically considered a really healthy habit for maintaining a healthy weight. So taking that piece out of the equation, which you do when you statistically adjust for BMI, uh, you are 22% more likely to develop type 2 diabetes if you regularly skip breakfast. I read that and went, oh, that's that's a huge 22% is a huge magnitude effect. And it's about the same with cardiovascular disease. So there was another meta-analysis. This was only in men and women over 40. And they basically compared people who regularly skip breakfast versus people who eat three meals a day on a regular basis. And those who regularly skipped skipped breakfast were 21% more likely to experience cardiovascular disease 
and die from it. And the all-cause mortality in that study showed that skipping breakfast resulted in a 32% higher all-cause mortality. These are numbers that are higher than um, higher than things like you know being sedentary or or comparable in numbers to being sedentary, comparable in numbers to to poor diet. And it's it's kind of um, like I was really surprised to see such a high magnitude of an effect when we start looking at all of the this data because what it's telling us is that breakfast is basically programming our metabolism, including um, how we're processing fats and how we're processing carbohydrates, right? So it's it's impacting our blood lipids and our uh, glucose response and insulin sensitivity for the whole rest of the day based on whether or not we're eating breakfast. And, um, and so what's fascinating is now there's studies that are starting to really kind of get more nitty gritty. They're starting to control more factors. There was a really fascinating study published in late 2017 that I want to uh, get into a little bit more detail. Um, this was another crossover design. And in this particular study, they had three groups. So they either had three meals a day, they skipped breakfast or they skipped dinner. But what, what's really important about the study was everything was controlled. They controlled all of the food the participants were eating. They were eating 55% uh, of their calories from carbohydrate, 30% from fat, 15% from protein, um, which is in the realm of um, what macronutrients you know, should be. I would argue that it, we probably should be eating a little bit more protein than that. But it's it's within the realm of a macronutrient breakdown from whole foods that would typically result in uh, fairly good markers of insulin sensitivity and um, blood lipids. And what they did was then they, they then looked at not just the insulin and blood sugar response, but they also looked at inflammatory responses, which is really important here because we know that, uh, for example, having high insulin is inflammatory. We know that having high blood sugar is inflammatory. And we know that having high, um, what's called free fatty acids, which is basically a lot of fats in our bloodstream after we eat is also inflammatory. And that having high free fatty acids after we eat can drive the insulin resistance. So inflammation is kind of this, this mechanism holding everything together. Um, now, what was really interesting, because this was research that was done out of sort of the field of researching intermittent fasting, was that they discovered that if you skipped a meal, um, you actually did have a little bit higher uh, energy expenditure, which is one of the, the main um, sort of rationales why people get really, really excited about intermittent fasting was that it, you know, increases basically, you know, fat oxidation. So you're actually burning your fat stores and it increases your metabolism slightly. But what was really interesting was the participants, when they skipped breakfast, they also had higher inflammation um, and they had this impaired blood sugar response. So they're developing um, insulin resistance or, or, you know, related to the next meal that they ate. Um, and like a, a fairly in, intense level. So one of the, the ways of measuring this is called the HOMA index. It actually, when they 
um, skipped breakfast, it was 54% lower than if they skipped dinner. So that was what was really, uh, or sorry, if this other way around, if they skipped breakfast, it was 54% higher than if they skipped dinner. So that was what was really cool about the study was they showed that all of these metabolic effects were not related to skipping a meal, but related to skipping breakfast versus dinner. So they actually were making an argument for um, if you're going to do intermittent fasting, having your feeding window earlier in the day and skipping dinner instead of skipping breakfast so that you can enjoy this slight increase in energy expenditure and fat oxidation without having this increase, this 54% increase in insulin resistance, as well as this increase in inflammation, the increased inflammation, if, if I remember correctly, was like 46%. And so it's, it's a really interesting way of looking at breakfast as being this, um, this regulator of metabolism. And as more papers are trying to really get into mechanisms, right? So there's this inflammation piece, there's this hormone piece with testosterone and sex hormone binding globulin. There's also um, some studies showing that if we eat in the morning, the um, what's called diet-induced thermogenesis, so it's basically we ate and it increased our production of body heat, um, which increases, requires energy, right? So that's part of our metabolism, like we're burning calories just by keeping ourselves warm-blooded. That food is more thermogenic in the morning compared to the evening. It's actually like 44% lower um, in the evening compared to the, the same meal in the morning. And so it's probably related to circadian rhythm hormones and how circadian rhythm hormones feed into our metabolisms. And so we're actually really well programmed in terms of these this entire system to consume food earlier in the day. And there is some research even showing because we need to increase cortisol um, in order to drive the production of glucose for energy if we skip breakfast, that um, there's a stress piece to all of this. So it's, it's potentially why people who are stressed are more likely to skip breakfast. So it's, it's more like a symptom of things not being great rather than um, in this particular through this particular lens rather than, um, the, like it's, it's, if you're stressed, you're more likely to skip breakfast rather than skipping breakfast is more likely to stress you out, even though skipping breakfast does raise cortisol. But what's interesting is it creates this, like actually what's called a positive feedback loop, but one that's very, very bad to have where skipping breakfast is actually driving cortisol dysregulation caused by chronic stress which is then, of course, making that person naturally not want to eat breakfast. And as I sort of branched that out... That person, do you want to just go ahead and insert my name as you're talking about this? I or? mean, you can insert my name in here. Too. <laughs> That's the thing. Is, uh, this, this one touched home uh, as I was researching, and there was maybe a few expletives um, uttered as I was discovering some of these papers. One of the other ones, just a fun fact that I found really interesting, because there's obviously a stress piece here. And that's, I recognize that as being the key driver of my natural, not healthy eating pattern is very, very clearly driven by stress, but there's also a sleep, um, a piece here too. So 
I found one study, it was a study in adolescents, but it actually showed that they were 44% more likely to eat breakfast if they got enough sleep. So that to me is just fascinating, right? Like um, we know that sleep is really, really important for regulating metabolism, that um, getting, uh, not getting enough sleep dramatically increases risk of obesity, dramatically increases risk of cardiovascular disease and type 2 diabetes, all of these things that are related to um, skipping breakfast as well, and yet those things go together. And it's one of those interesting things where we recognize that good habits tend to go together. When you start working on some good habits, you tend to kind of like accidentally develop other good habits, and bad habits tend to compound as well. So when you start doing... Um, uh, yeah, I don't want to say that these are necessarily choices because I don't feel like that's fair. I feel like if I was to describe my, myself and my eating habits, it doesn't feel like a choice. I really just don't want to eat first thing in the morning. Um, it's almost like I have to, in order to choose to have breakfast, I have to like overwhelm the instinct, if that makes any sense. So it, it doesn't feel like I'm choosing not to, but it does feel like, like I'm choosing to eat breakfast when I'm sort of fighting that natural desire to not eat. So I don't want to say that these bad habits are choices, um, but it, they are the types of things that can kind of unravel and they, they cluster together and they add to each other, right? So we know that there's an impact with already correcting for things like sleep and weight and like diet and smoking status, right? Like these types of studies um, are already trying to control as many of those factors as possible to tease out the effect of this one thing that they're evaluating. So we're able to say that um, if you don't get enough sleep, you're at higher risk of developing type 2 diabetes, but you're also at higher risk of not eating breakfast, which itself will increase risk of diabetes. Oh, and by the way, like we can keep this going if we want to go even beyond this topic, not getting enough sleep increases the chance that you will choose fast food over fresh fruits and vegetables, which then also increases risk of type 2 diabetes. So it, as we sort of to pull those threads, it's very easy to see where, um, where we can kind of have these like snowball effects in terms of our lifestyle choices and I think we've talked about this before in terms of how sleep and stress um, or stress resilience are connected. Um, I think this is like another thing to put on this pile, like recognizing that eating breakfast and um, most importantly, a breakfast that includes some kind of high quality protein is really, really important for programming our metabolisms throughout the day, for programming our insulin system, our cortisol system, our sex hormone system is, is also being impacted by um, whether or not we eat breakfast. And all of those things are better regulated and sensitivity is better maintained if we consume breakfast. And then recognizing that we are more likely to consume breakfast if we're getting enough sleep and regulating our stress. So these things feed into each other. It's, it's not one um, sort of habit in isolation that everything is linked, which I, I find that to be really empowering information because I can look at that and go, okay, so I've, um, had a stressful enough autumn that, um, obviously my health is suffering. Um, and there's habits that I'm sliding into related to my stress that I can work on that will help to regulate my stress, right? So 
eating breakfast helps to blunt that morning cortisol response when it's too elevated. And then I can um, work on all of these things together so that the it doesn't feel like I have to work really hard at one thing. It's it's kind of like this full package deal, but by by tackling stress level and protecting sleep and then making sure that I'm eating breakfast, I'm making sure that no one choice feels really hard because each one of those things will make working on the other thing easier. Can I ask a question? Yes. In any of these, what is the definition of quote unquote breakfast? Like I remember way back in the day, like at least eight years ago, <laughs> listening to a podcast with Rob Wolf, um, where he talked about intermittent fasting with lifters and specifically like why they were doing certain meals and the definitions of research that they found were specific to fat and protein. So if people were drinking, for example, just coffee, it wasn't affecting their breaking a fast <laughs> breakfast. But um, <laughs> for those of you who hadn't realized that that's what breakfast is called. Um, but if they had coffee with um, any sort of milk in it, there is both fat and protein in that and therefore would uh, break the benefits of the metabolic recovery some of the things that you talked about not from um the perspective of all the other health things we're talking about right but like cellular regeneration and some of the other benefits that can be seen from intermittent fasting which hopefully we're learning from this podcast is better done at a different time um was ruined so to speak if there was any fat or protein so i'm just wondering if you know and this is a complete side tangent also in my 10 years of being part of this community, there was something um, popular, I want to say around like six or seven years ago, called the leptin diet. Um, mm -hmm. And that focused on eating breakfast within 20 minutes of waking up, but a very specific one. And I, <laughs> I had a friend who was on it. And she told me that she would like fist I think it was four hard boiled eggs within 20 minutes of waking up. And she was like, Oh my gosh, it's so hard. Like I don't have any desire to eat anything and it's, you know, difficult to get it down. So because there's this variation of definition that I'm seeing from other things, I'm wondering if any of these studies are talking about like how they're defining breakfast for these people who are doing it. I'm assuming it's not just a bowl of high carb refined cereal, so to speak. You know what I mean? There's gotta right. be something to it. No, I mean, if you look at these, you know, studies that are actually being really careful to control the overall caloric intake as well as the macronutrients, they're looking at um, sort of, for example, 22, like 2,000 or 2,200 calorie a day diets. Um, and so that's typically looking at five to 600 calorie breakfasts as a minimum. Um, the studies that are looking at comparing, right, you're having your big meal at breakfast versus your big meal at lunch, that big meal is defined as at least half of your caloric intake for the day. So then you're talking about a like 1000 calorie breakfast, which is a lot. Like if you think about there's 70 calories in an egg, 
four eggs is actually not a very big breakfast. It's only 28 grams of protein. Um, and the fact that I have that kind of encyclopedic knowledge about the um, nutrients in eggs is not <laughs> weird at all. Um, not, not in the slightest. Um, so, um, you know, that's one of the things that's really interesting. So there's been, there are a couple of studies that look at a low calorie breakfast, like 200 calorie breakfast. And it seems that that actually is, it's enough to break the fast. So if you're putting a couple tablespoons of fat in your coffee, even though it's the only one macronutrient, you're still breaking your fast just by the fact that there's 200 calories of fat in your coffee, while at the same time not being enough to be able to have this positive metabolic programming. So it's kind of like the worst of both worlds to be able to just have a 200 calorie coffee and call that breakfast. Um, so there's there seems to be a couple of keys here, and this is kind of pulling threads from different studies. But key one is breakfast looks like it should contain 20 to 30 percent uh, of the calories at your breakfast should be protein. And there's definitely some studies from obesity research showing that a higher protein breakfast is actually even more beneficial in terms of metabolism. So starting to hit maybe 40 to 50 percent, even though you know, it, it's definitely, you definitely wouldn't have 50% of your calories for the whole day from protein, having that higher protein percent wise, because your breakfast is typically a smaller meal in the morning is overall beneficial for metabolism. And then, you know, having a breakfast that is like somewhere around, I would say, just again, sort of pulling on these different threads from both the population studies and from the clinical trials, you know, we're defining breakfast as typically 350 to 600 calories in most of these cases. I would say probably aiming for that middle modal range of four to 500 as a minimum, but also remembering that these studies showing that having your big meal at breakfast is actually quite beneficial compared to the more normal eating pattern of three square meals a day and having half of your calories at dinner. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering mm -hmm. for someone like myself. No, I know not everybody is in my position, but there's actually a significant portion of the population that doesn't have gallbladder disease, especially mm -hmm. those of us with autoimmune, because it's often like a sign of your body saying something's not right. <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, so I'm wondering for someone like myself. So I have this is not not a plug but you're welcome um found that the collagen veggie smoothie when combined with coffee and half a frozen banana is something that my body mm -hmm. can do and I kind of pace it it's not like I drink it all within two minutes which I think helps my body digest For it sure. um that would be micronutrient rich, protein rich. It would not be a significant portion of my calories for the day, uh, but it would be more than just a coffee. So I know that works for me. So I'm going to offer that as a suggestion because I think it does hit a lot of the marks that you're talking about. Um, and I have found too, that once I have that, that then I can have, for example, I often bring like hard boiled eggs with me or something like that, that mm -hmm. I can, um, have after once I've started the digestive process. So as we all are listening to this and thinking, okay, what can I do to improve this? Um, like my kids all eat scrambled eggs for breakfast and usually a piece of fruit. And we'll, we try to 
add veggies. Usually it's like leftover veggies we just throw yeah. in with scrambled eggs um, as we shove them out the door in the morning. Um, so I feel like my, my kids are much better than Matt and I both are. I can't do scrambled eggs in the morning. Like I just, my, my body can't do it. So I'm trying to figure out like what I can do to best so, support my health. So um, what your bile does, I feel like this is like the necessary, like let's remind ourselves. But Everybody's like, important. what's wrong with Stacey? <laughs> no, I, like let's, I, I just like, let's take a step up. Like, you know, I think you're right that gallbladder disease is really common and there's a definitely a significant proportion of our listeners who probably don't have gallbladders. So your liver produces this thing called bile. Bile is stored in the gallbladder. And then when you eat a big meal, there's a, a hormonal stimulus to the gallbladder to basically like squeeze all of the bile into the small intestine. And what bile does is it helps to break apart fat into smaller droplets so that the fat digesting enzymes that are produced by your pancreas can actually break apart the molecules. So basically you have to break fat up into these tiny droplets in order for your fat digesting enzymes to be efficient. And so you're, when you don't have a gallbladder, you still are producing bile. You're just, it's constantly leaking into your digestive tract rather than having that like big you know, bolus of it right when you eat. And so what that means is your ability to digest a high fat meal is reduced because you can't get enough bile into it, into your small intestine to be able to break that fat up into smaller pieces so that your lipases from your pancreas can actually access them, which is why taking something like ox bile, I know I said we'd find solutions that were not related to supplements, but just for our listeners, um, that's why taking ox bile or bile salts with each meal is something that uh, endocrinologists who remove, uh, or not endocrinologists, sorry, gastroenterologists who remove gallbladders I think I'm going to use your favorite word. Should I think be recommending to I all think of it's their an, patients. I think it's an appropriate use, and I wish someone would have mentioned anything about my digestion changing when they told me that nothing would change when they removed my gallbladder. Right. It's unnecessary. It serves no purpose. Liars. Right. Um, but here's here's the here's the cap. Here's the main point of all of that. Your ability to digest carbohydrates and proteins is not impacted by not having a gallbladder. So that is related completely to pancreatic enzymes as well as uh, digestive enzymes produced by your stomach and in your saliva. And so um, at least on paper, for somebody without a gallbladder, it I would expect it to be easier to digest a lower fat breakfast that has more carbohydrate and protein. Yeah, and that is that is 100% the case for me I think my original blog post was called how to eat bacon without a gallbladder because <laughs> in the morning having fat is impossible mm -hmm. and I, I do want to say to our listeners like there's absolutely nothing wrong with medicine or supplements I did not just ox bile but um, digestive enzymes for years and um, it's a lot like I just personally don't like taking pills and supplements it's it's just a personal like I don't like the way it feels I you know what I mean like it's not like a statement or a judgment on anybody else so um having to do it and the, the timing is also very important and you have to know how many to take based on mm -hmm. you know what you're going to eat and all that kind of stuff and so it puts a 
large amount of complexity on food. And for me, being someone who has uh, propensity for disordered eating, it really kind of messes with my mind in a way that I'd like yeah. to not go back to. So when I say things like I don't want to take supplements, I'm, I'm simplifying something that's very complex. I've worked very hard to be able to understand my body, which is why I know that that collagen veggie smoothie, which as you'll note, is very low in fat. The only fat yeah, there's in almost, it, there's almost, I don't think almond I mean, there's milk. almost no fat. That's yeah. the only, it's like very, very, very minimal amount of fat. And like I said, then after I do it, I'm able to have an egg, but I thought for a really long time that I had an egg allergy because I would have eggs for breakfast and get super sick. And even just the minimal amount of fat from eggs in the morning was enough to make everybody out. <laughs> so um, if yeah. you're having difficulty, and for me, like brunch is something that I have to plan for, like if we're going to go have brunch or even the same thing applies for like a very large dinner, I have to be mindful to have a balanced amount of um, protein and carbs. Like I can't, even if you told me that keto was the best diet in the world, like I can't do keto. My body cannot physically good, do it. Good thing I would never say that. I know. But <laughs> What, what I know is that my, my body can't do that. And when I was low carb, high fat paleo is when my thyroid went into a flare because I was constantly not digesting food. It was running right through me and I wasn't absorbing micronutrients. So my hair was falling out. I had all kinds of digestive issues and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, all of that comes from not paying attention to digestion. So you might have an entirely different situation. Like let's say you do have a gallbladder, but you've had, you know, some sort of other gastrointestinal, um, uh, issue, for example, um, Crohn's like your ability to digest carbohydrates is going to be completely different from my ability mm -hmm. to digest carbohydrates. So, um, it's important to understand that about yourself so that you can think through, okay, what are some things that I can do to set myself up for success? And for me, that collagen veggie smoothie is something that works really well for me because it has um, carbohydrate, it has micronutrients, it has a protein that, that is gentle, it's like a pre-digested protein, collagen for me, um, you know, like all of the stuff that, that helps. And um, it gets boring day after day after day, I will yeah. admit. But um, it's, a, it's a good solution until I figure out something else in the meantime, so... So um, just in the in the wrapping up and sort of like throwing out ideas for different breakfasts, um, as I was researching for this podcast and recommitting myself to consuming breakfast, um, I one of the things that the autoimmune protocol did for me, which I think is overall very, very positive for my life, was it really broke that association of certain foods as breakfast foods for me. So I no longer think of the only acceptable breakfasts as being like, porridge and breakfast cereal and bagels and like scrambled eggs and bacon. Um, I think that anything that I can get that's quick um, and healthy counts. And so I've for a long time um, really relied on leftovers as a breakfast food or if I'm in my sumo dieting phase as a lunch food, um, but now it's going to be breakfast. Um, the other thing that I do is in um, – Paleo Principles and in the Paleo Approach Cookbook, and I've got a variety of, of recipes also on my site for homemade um, sausage 
mix. Um, so just the seasonings that you would add to ground meat to make sausage. And what I do is I, I make uh, every two to three weeks, I make six pounds of it. So it's like a double recipe based on like something out of paleo principles. Um, my favorite is the Italian sausage recipe in paleo principles. And uh, I make uh, like two dozen sausage patties. I bake them and then I freeze them on the baking sheet. And then once they're frozen, I, I trans transfer them to a reusable container, freeze, uh, freezer safe container. Um, so that then that sausage patty is like a minute to reheat in the microwave for breakfast. And now suddenly there's like a high quality protein that's really, really fast and also relatively inexpensive because I made it myself and I was able to control all of the ingredients that went into it. And so that is, for example, what I had for breakfast this morning, because after doing this research, I realized that there was no way I was going to record the podcast about how important it is to eat breakfast after having skipped breakfast. That was not a thing that was going to happen. So um, that is one of the things that I always have in the house. I really make it for my kids, but now I'm working on like, if I can't find anything else, that's it. I love soups for breakfast. Um, so I you will sometimes make stole my thunder. You oh, know, that's sorry. my thing. Do you, do you know where I got the idea of soup for breakfast? There Tracy? you go. I, I, I appreciate you. I appreciate the shout out. Thank I you. I got it from you and was introduced to its deliciousness by Matt. Soup, soup with Stacy was a hashtag that was like super popular back in the day when I would share my meals every day. It was like, um, and here's the same soup. <laughs> that was like the beyond bacon writing days where you had like pork broth in the fridge at yeah. all times no i couldn't do pork broth every morning but um because it's higher fat but um yeah egg drop soup mm -hmm. was popular with the boys but there's not very much vegetables we would do carrot shavings in there but we would like chop up leftover vegetables and just like throw it in a pot with broth and he yep. would send me off to work with it every morning and definitely gotten out of the habit of that kind of thing ironically with being home like the shuffle of oh I gotta take Finn to school and let me just grab this travel mug of coffee um has gotten me out of the habit so I'm going to work on getting back into the habit not just on smoothies but um soup for breakfast is also super easy to meal plan like yeah you know you make it one batch on the weekends and we just put up an epic broth tutorial on our blog using an instapot because our uh, tutorial from six years ago I think it was can you believe six years ago oh. was our broth tutorial um didn't include an instapot so we just updated it with an instapot this week so um if you need a reminder on how easy it is to get soft bones we also did an entire podcast on how to make good broth here so go back and listen to that but soup soup for breakfast is like it, it is such a good um way to start the day for me like I just feel like it sets me up for success and last year I did a daily soup thing in January and like my body just feels so freaking good when I have soup every day yeah isn't it funny how we do things and we feel so good and then we do it for a month and then we stop <sighs> I, I feel like uh human nature something 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 no I um I I've been aware of the research showing that breakfast is really, really an important meal for a number of years. I mean, I think I, the first time I wrote about breakfast as an important meal of the day was on my blog was in 2013. Uh, so again, uh, it's been, it's been a minute, but 
just the, the couple of new meta analyses from 2019 really drove this home to me that this is now like, I'm not waiting for January's resolution. I am committing. <laughs> I started already um, that, that um, I'm going to really work on breakfast. And one of the things that I have done before, because the hardest for me is, is to eat breakfast on my way to the gym because I'm leaving the house so early and I'm, I tend to be, you know, getting, helping the kids get ready for school. And then I typically have typically had a preference of working out faster than, um, eating breakfast afterwards. And I'm going to work on changing that too, and having more protein before I go to the gym. And so one of the things that I am, I literally have on my kitchen counter right now is an assembly line for pre-making smoothies um, with protein powder and collagen veggie blend and um, some real mushrooms, um, five defenders, mushroom powders and, and some cocoa powder. And, um, and I have it in an assembly line to put them just in mason jars so that I can literally add water and shake on my way out the door. And so that is set up <laughs> as soon as we didn't finish recording. That is my task is to make sure that I have a full week's worth of smoothie breakfasts for specifically for the mornings that I am heading out the door to the gym. And then the other mornings I have more time and I can have a bowl of soup or some leftovers or the aforementioned sausage patty with some sauerkraut and some fruit, which is one of my sort of go-to AIP breakfasts. Um, but I think that the, the biggest takeaway that I want for our listeners out of this is that it is, if skipping breakfast is something that you're used to doing, it is a worthwhile habit to form to consume breakfast. And whether that's easiest for you to make yourself a smoothie or easiest for you to, you know, grab a you know, chomp snack sticks and a bag of wild Zora and a couple of, you know, a piece of fruit. Oh, or if it's easiest for you to just always make sure that you have leftovers from the night before that you can have for breakfast. There's a lot of different ways to solve that problem of how do I get f- healthy food into my body first thing in the morning when I'm tired and I, I really don't want to have to go to any effort. Like that to me is what breakfast is, is, is the meal that doesn't require work <laughs> that sets us up for the day. And what this research shows us is it's, it's worth figuring out how to solve that challenge in our own individual lives so that breakfast is not a chore and that it's not a unusual, like special Sunday treat, but that it's something that we do every day. I like it. I'm going to try. Uh, me too. <laughs> me too. <laughs> how about we all on social media, you tag us and we will make an effort to share what share breakfast. Yeah. Share Mm -hmm. breakfast. What's working for us and hopefully inspire us all to make it happen. I do think it makes so much sense. And this is what they did in the olden days to have like a larger breakfast. It makes so much sense Mm -hmm. that you would eat the preponderance of your calories before you were about to expend those calories in energy use versus at the end of your day when you're you know what I mean like when you need it before you cut down the trees yes exactly your cabin exactly like when did our culture decide that when you got home and you were like oh yeah 
ready to wind down. Like that's when to consume all of your calories. Doesn't make any sense to me. I blame the invention of the television. I think, okay. All right. Well, (laughs) I'm just going to. Just that before we open that can of worms, I'm going to wrap up the show and say um, healthy breakfast to you, soups, smoothies, leftovers, frittatas and scrambles with leftover veggies and whatever else you've got in your fridge. What is uh, Num Num Paleo calls it something Um, garbage something. I think she calls it like garbage scramble, whatever. Whatever it is you're you're doing, just throw it in there, and hopefully, you can have um, an an energized, stable day <laughs> with a healthy breakfast. <laughs> I think it's interesting. You know, we do we do more for like our loved ones than we do for ourselves. So when I think sure. about this, and I think about how I make sure that my boys have like a good breakfast before they go off to school, especially when there's SOLs, we make a big deal out of like, they get to choose what they're having for breakfast that day. And you know what I mean? And then, and then I'm like, what am I doing for myself? I'm looking at my empty coffee cup right now. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, I need to do better. So, um, awesome. Well, we will be back again next week and it's a topic that I am super excited about. Actually, we just planned out our calendar for the next five weeks, which we rarely do not just because we're not planners but specifically because we like to be responsive to what's happening in the world and um frankly we know what's happening over the next month the holidays are happening and we Mm -hmm. hope that you had a wonderful thanksgiving and we're excited to talk about a lot of topics that um often come up around this time of year and um I mean, I'm always excited when I get to submit questions. <laughs> I hope you're excited too. Co-host prerogative. <laughs> Do what I want. I'm complimentary of Sarah and she says, yes, I like that idea. That's it. That's how it works. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for listening. And if you have follow-up questions that you'd like us to cover, um, d- dive deeper into or other topics that you want, um, you can submit them through the link on our websites. You can always please engage and comment with us in social media. We love to hear from you. Share your breakfast, tag us in it. And um, we look forward to chatting with you again next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.